Okay, good morning everybody, Bokatov. Um, I'm not going to say anything about the elections. I, I, I try to avoid uh, giving you indigestion so early in the morning. Um, let's just hang on. There's, just got a, there you go. Um, saying that, I think it's a serious uh, um, situation in terms of uh, who runs this country, you know, we really want it to be run in a specific way, certainly to be partial as, uh, uh, thank God they are, I mean, you know, the yeshivas are supported and the, the, uh, all the institutions and that should carry on and grow and become stronger and stronger and let's hope whoever takes over in the government uh, continues with that uh, uh, respect towards the religious values of essentially what Eretz Israel, we all know what Eretz Israel is really all about. Um, so we pray for, you know, Shlom HaMalchus, as they say. Um, what I want to do today, with uh, coming to the Parshio of Avram Avinu. Uh, before we do that, I want to share with you a little story which happened in, Be- in Beit Shemesh about a month ago. Uh, we were here for Cholamoy Sukkot. Uh, not in this neighborhood, we were over in wherever that neighborhood is, Scheinfeld, I think it's called, or somewhere over there. Um, and sitting in the sukkah, after lunch on Shabbat, and we were with a wonderful family that we've known from the States for many years, the Kwawasa, the father of, the, of Benji, who runs the yeshiva here, Le, Leva Torah. Um, and uh, the question was asked. And the question was asked, I suppose the question, you can phrase it in the, in the famous phrase, Manishtana. What changed after the flood? Before we get to Avram Avinu, I just want to talk about this for a few minutes because it's so interesting. Before the flood, it says man was rak ra kolaya. I can't do the resh. Not quite in Israel. Long enough, but I'm trying. Rak ra kolaya. Man was evil all the day, right? And Hashem says, that's it. Hamti, right? End of the world. After the flood, it says that without the rak ra kolaya, it just says man is ra kolaya. Man is evil. And Hashem says, I'm not going to destroy the world, even though. Man is evil. What changed? What has changed after the flood that now God is saying, I'm not going to destroy the world, even though man is still serving idols and he's doing idol- immorality and all, murder and everything else carried on as if nothing really had changed. It's, it's strange. It's strange that the flood should have been a turnaround in man's behavior, and it really wasn't. It really didn't change. So why then, after the flood, did things become uh, acceptable to the point where, the, where Hashem promises the world will not be destroyed? What's happened? And it was a good question. You know, I've never thought of this question, but it's a really fundamental question. And I found this piece. I'm not going to go through it. I, I give out very long handouts, and I apologize. I'm just going to take maybe one or two lines of this, because uh, these are things that I use uh, teaching in, in college or whatever, where I go through the text, but here I'm going to go through maybe one or two lines. I want to share with you this thought, which I find so inspiring. The, um, one of the writers, I mentioned him a few weeks ago already, Rishlam Goram. Rishlam Goram was the chief rabbi here. And in fact, I, uh, when I got my smicha from Gateshead, I went to the Rosh Hashiva in Gateshead, Zev Cohen, Zichroi Levrocha, who was from Yushalayim, and I asked him about Rav Goram. And he knew Rav Goren. He said Rav Goren, the original name was Gorenchik, and he was an Iloi Chebe Iloim. He said he was one of the great geniuses of the yeshiva 
um, the Hebron yeshiva, that was one of the main yeshivot, uh, at the, uh, after the war, when, when refugees came to Israel, uh, many of them, they either went to Bnei Barak and Ponovich took them in, or they came to Shalim and they learned in Hebron Yeshiva. And Goran was one of the, what was, what was a great genius. He said, without question, they had uh, a lot of issues with his Psakim, but that's a separate discussion. That's for another time when he became chief rabbi. But in terms of learning, the man was brilliant. And what I want to share with you is this concept. And he says like this, and it really is extraordinary. He says that what happened before the flood is, and in fact it goes back to the beginning of the world, he says we know that man is made of two parts. You're made of the goof and the shama. You've got the body and you've got the soul. Right? And we understand that in order for us to function, we have the physical side of our life, but we also have this spark uh, of godliness within us and the Shama, however you want to define it, and that gives life to the human being. So Rav Garan says that he found in, and he's, he sometimes gets very Kabbalistic, but this is the sort of Kabbalah I can handle. Uh, some of it I can't handle, but this one I can handle. He says that for the world to exist, amazing idea. He says the world is a physical place, but it needs a spiritual component. He says if the world doesn't have a spiritual component, it is doomed. And this, he argues, is what happened at the beginning of the history of the world. For the first, we call it ten generations, right? Ten generations from Adam to Noah. It seems that there was, I would say, a momentum at the beginning from other Mauritian that apparently he accepted upon himself, understood that there were certain mitzvot, we call them the uh, seven mitzvot b'nei Noah. According to the Gemara, Adam kept six of the seven mitzvot. Okay, and there's a whole discussion which I don't want to go into. But obviously, once other Mauritian goes, and once the world falls into disrepair, it's a problem. There is no spiritual energy in the world. Adam is gone. The world is falling into complete and utter chaos. Tov of O's come back in human behavior. And it's, 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 it's staggering. It's a disaster. And it gets to the point at the 10th generation before Noah, when Hashem says, that's it. They've run out of steam. There's no energy, spiritual energy left. The world is gone. So what happened after the flood? And this is where it becomes so fascinating. I've never thought of it like this. We read that Noah came out of the, of the ark. He got drunk. I suppose, may, I always argued that maybe that's uh, a reaction which may, maybe some, you know, some people would have. Even to this very day, you see the world destroyed. You know, what are you going to do? Uh, it, it's just one of those things. Uh, maybe a very basic humor reaction. I don't know. But the reality of it is that, uh, that Noah, when he came out of the table, there's something happened there. There is a Kabbalat, Rav Goran calls it Kabbalat Torah, but he says not Kabbalat Torah like on Mount Sinai. He says that Noah and his children accepted and um, obliged themselves, committed themselves to fulfill the seven mitzvot b'nei Noah. These are deduced from the verses that we have in Parshat Noah read last week. And it became like an acceptance of the Torah, not the Torah we understand as Jews, 613 mitzvot, but an acceptance of seven commandments which kept the world going.
And I want to just share this, this language with you in section B. Because what he says here is, I, I honestly believe is really, it's mind-blowing. He says, Mashma, it's the last paragraph on the right-hand side. Misugiot Eli brings a whole bunch of proofs of what was not going on in the first, in the first generations. But then he says, we, we can deduce, Shaita Kabbalah Rishmit, when the sons of Noah came out of the ark, they accepted, they accepted the seven mitzvot. As we accepted the 613 on Mount Sinai, we know the phrase. We said, we will do and we will, we will nishma, we will learn. So this is a Chiddush. After the flood, the people came out of the ark, and they were so, I, I, I suspect, they were so traumatized. And they had this connection. Noach was still the tzaddik, right? He didn't change his sitkas at that point. And Hashem says to, the, to, to Noach and to the whole survivor group that's there, you now have to accept upon yourselves the seven laws of Noah. Do not steal, do not, do not murder, the, the whole line that, that we know. And it says like this, on, again, on that, on that line, it's the fourth line. Even to the point where they're forbidden to take a limb from a living animal. That was number seven that was added on uh, to what Adam did. Adam didn't have that mitzvah. Etc. Now, Go down to the next line, um, and it says like this: Kashem. Um, it's sorry. It's now one, two, three, four, five, six lines down, middle of the line. Kashem shekabalata Torah Yisrael liyad Sinai. The Jews accepted the Torah Mount Sinai. That's Shavuot that we know. Kishiyara the Kodesh Baruch Alahar leinei Kol Yisrael. When God came down on the mountain at that point, kachaya mamad kabalat zayin amitzvah. They stood in front of the ark and they made a commitment, a covenant with God. And that covenant was on the seven Noahide laws. Unbelievable. And he argued, this again is incredible, the ark had the equivalence to the ark of the covenant. Right? We use the same word in English. We talk about the Ark of Noah and the Ark of the Covenant, the, 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 the Oron, which was in the Temple. And he says that they have an equivalent. And the Ark of Noah and the Ark of the Covenant are equivalent in the sense that it's a place where we do commitment to God in front of such a holy uh, uh, article or item or whatever. And the last uh, three lines, the end of the third line from the end, This gets very Hebrew, I'm sorry. Basically, what he's saying is, once there is this acceptance, it gives back. It kind of winds up the motor again. The spiritual motor is switched on again. It doesn't go out now, the, 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 the pilot life, you want to call it that. It stays. And that's the nafkamil, that's the difference between before the flood and after the flood. It's fascinating. Before the flood, you'll say to me, what kept it going in Bichlal if there was no commitment? The answer is that's, that's the problem. It was kind of a, a, a spiritual energy that existed from 
the cre- moment of creation, but it was getting less and less and less, and once Adam disappeared, remember he died, he was 930, after Adam goes, it's gone. Right? That, and that sort of, you've got a, a residual power which, which stays, but it, it, it dwindles. With Noah, it was different. After the ark, there was this commitment to Zion, Mitzvot, and Noah, and that was something which wasn't going to go away. And look at the top of the next page, and this is my favorite question. Everybody knows that, what, you, know, you asked this question in a quiz, what was the first yeshiva in the history of the world? So people say, oh, I know, the yeshiva of Shem Ve'evah. Right? The yeshiva of Shem Ve'eva. If you go to Tzvat, you'll find one of the buildings up there got this title, Yeshiva Shem Ve'eva. Whether it's been around that long, I doubt it very much, but it's a good, it's a good ploy to, uh, to get funds, I'm sure. This is the Yeshiva of Shem Ve'eva. So, fine, you had the Yeshiva of Shem Ve'eva. This is way before the Torah was given. So the question asked, I always ask the students, what did they study in the Yeshiva of Shem Ve'eva? Right? Did they study Baba Kama? Did they study Tosas? No, it wasn't around, it wasn't there yet. So what did they study in the Yeshiva of Shem Ve'eva? So it turns out that obviously, I, one, one theory, one, one student told me once, he said, well, it's a bit like a college in Oxbridge, in Oxford and Cambridge. For the Americans, I would say, in an Ivy League school, in, in Harvard, wherever, where they study philosophy. Right? And it was a, philosoph- a, a school of philosophy. Uh, I, always, I worked in Columbia University for a number of years, and I always liked going into the building uh, of the School of Philosophy. Kent House, it was called over there. And the reason why I liked it is because it's so quiet. It's so, you know, it's philosophical when you walk in. You can see people walking around thinking. It was, it was a real experience walking into that place. Um, a bit strange, I have to say, but it was very interesting. The, the, the concept of, of the Yeshiva of Shem Ve'eva was a place where they would study... The background of God, they would study the ideas of, with Avraham Avinu, there's a tradition in the Talmud that he uh, wrote down or had a, a collection of what they call Masechtot, 400 um, chapters which we would sort of compare to Talmud, all to do with idolatry. Right? That was maybe also part of the curriculum of the yeshiva of Shem Ve'eva. But it clearly was not the yeshiva in the way that we understand today. It was a place where they studied the Concepts of monotheism, the existence of one God, you know, things that were important. But look what he says at the top of the page. Torah, on the second column, The laws of the seven Noachai mitzvot, they, part of the curriculum was to study the seven Noachai laws. One of the laws, which is very interesting, you've got to set up courts. So, you don't just do it, you know, in five minutes. We know that the court system, I always think of the British court system, you know, with the wigs and the whole thing, takes, must have taken, it's taken, we know, it took hundreds of years to get the system to where it is today. So the reality is that all of that would have been started in the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ed. Fascinating. As he says, we know, for instance, that we'll read in a few weeks' time with Rivka, she goes to seek the Lord. What does that mean? So the rabbis say she went to the Beit Midrash of Shem Ve'ed. She didn't know what was going on. She had, you know, the, the, she goes past the house of idolatry and the baby wants to come out. She goes past the house of, the, the, of, of, of study, of Torah study, and, that, and the baby wants to, She wasn't sure what was going on. She was pregnant, but she didn't know what, what, what she had. Of course, she really had to be told that she's got twins and Aesop and a Yaakov, and we know this story. So, the reality of it is, just go to the next paragraph there. Torah Zusha Zion Mitzvah 
And that is phenomenal. The reality was, and it's true today, I believe with my heart and soul that in Eretz Yisrael today, what really keeps us going, on the one hand, my 100% respect for Tzahal and everything is, is, is above and beyond. What they do, put their lives on the line every single day of every single year that we're living here, it's, it, it's, it's above and beyond and we have to respect it. There's a story of Shlomo Zaman Orbach was once asked by Yeshiva Bacha, uh, I want to go to the caves of Rabbi Akiva. He wants to take two days out and visit all the caves in the north of Israel. So Shlomo Zalman said to him, this was about 30 years ago when he, uh, he died in 95. Shlomo Zalman said, no, you can't go. So the boy said, but Rebbe, I want to go and daven by the cave of the, you know, the great, great Sadiqim. So Shlomo Zalman says, we're in Bayat Vagan. He says, go across the road to Mount Herzl. There's 20,000 soldiers buried there. Go and daven by those Sadiqim. He says, those are righteous people. Go and daven there. Cross the road, literally. Now with the train, you've got to be careful, but you've got to cross the road. And the reality is, that's, that, 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 that is a gisha, that's an approach. But that was Raborabach, a very special man. The bottom line of what I'm going to say here, and this is so special, in Eretz Israel, there's no question in my mind, that what gives us this sense of energy, this sense of growth, this sense of, 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 of something special happening here, every single thing, you just feel it. And it's coming from the Torah study, be it from the right of the right to the left of the left, where all the, all the different stripes, whether it's Kazarav or whether it's Ponovish, doesn't matter which yeshiva it is, whether it's Kippah Surgas, whatever it is, I don't care. The reality of it is that that is the spiritual energy in Eretz Yisrael today. And you feel it when you come into this country. There's something unique about it, something special about it. There's the, the uh, again, it's, it's one story. We got into a cab two days after we were here. Um, we went from Yerushalayim, so my mother-in-law lives in Shoresh. Some of you may know where it is, not far from here. And the cab driver uh, got into a discussion. It wasn't very occupied. I wasn't you know, prepared for what he asked me. And he said, what did you do in America? And I said, I was teaching Tanakh, taught Novi. Oh, Beseda. And for 20 minutes, I'm not exaggerating, he wouldn't let me go. We got to the place, my wife got out of the cab, and the cab driver had all these questions about Shaul and David and the connector. <laughs> Rabbana Shalom, you know, leave me alone. But he wouldn't let me go. And there's something special about this place. It is so, so special. And what gives that energy the Torah studies, no question in my mind. Bottom line, and this is what he says here, and I'm just going to look at the last paragraph because I've got something else to share with you today. Ava, said Rav Gar, right at the bottom of the paragraph, the last paragraph on the page. So now, they went out of the ark. There's a new covenant between God and the world. The seven mitzvot. wasn't just for them, for the future generations, till Abraham Avinu comes along and until the Torah is given. It's like the acceptance of Torah. And it's a covenant. As it says, And God said, I will keep my covenant with you. The physical world gained a, a, a strength of survival. Essentially now, from the days of Adam right through Noah and beyond, 
אמנם נצטב מפי קדוש ברוך הוא כי אם זה מזוון, אך לא קיבלו אותם עליהם, אז הרם במעמד מחייב. The problem was before Noah there was no uh, ceremony of acceptance, there was no covenant made. And that's why the world was ended. But after Noah, and that's the change, the change was that this covenant took place. And once the covenant, it's, it's, it's such a fabulous idea this, once the covenant took place, it gave the world that dynamism. It gave the world, you know that, that, I want that wonderful ad where you have the battery in the back of the bunny, if you know what I'm talking about, if, you, if, you, if you've seen that particular, there's a, there's a version of it here in Israel as well. Uh, that battery was put back in and it doesn't stop running. It keeps the world going. What is the battery? It's the strength of the spirituality, starting with the seven Noachite laws and mitzvot, and going eventually into Kabbalat Torah. And look at the last uh, uh, four lines, uh, where it says, At the end of the line, This is the covenant, That was the end of Parsha Noah. I've made this covenant between myself, says God, and the whole world. Mashmal kola yukum, the whole world that existed. Zeo mikar kabbalat Torah, zayin ha-mitzvah de'i Beautiful. They accepted these seven laws. Ma'amad kiyam ha-brit be'in b'nei noach l'kodesh baruch hu shemikocho, from the strength of this covenant, nishba ha-kodesh baruch hu, God made an oath. Ma'eva or ma'ava me'i noach, od ala'arz, in other words, there will never be another flood. And this Rav Goran's suggestion. It's fabulous. It's saying, and it, it, as I, you know, sometimes you read things and, okay, it's Peshetlach and it's Vertelach and whatever other Lach you want to call it. This is getting into the heart, of, to me, of what, what was really going on at the um, crucial moments in world history. It's not just Jewish history, this is world history. The reality of it is that the world needed that spiritual power, that spiritual input, and it happened at the conclusion of the flood when they came out, they made a covenant, and that kept the world going till we get to Avram Avinu, Yitzhak Yaakov, and then eventually Am Yisrael. It's a thought for the day. It really is quite special. Please. to God by Korbanot. See, what he's done is he's, he's added an element into the story which I didn't know existed. I knew that there was the Sheva Mitzvah, but the significance of it, it's, it's unbelievable. And of course... And how you, could you have afterwards said not part of Vineyard? That, that's a separate issue. And of course, like everything else, Noah is a mystery. There is this fantastic side of him and there is this very, very difficult side of him. Ketanei Amanna. Yeah, yeah, it's Tzaddik in pelts. I mean, you know, you've, you've heard the, the, the sermons, you know, the Tzaddik in the fur coat, 
all for him. So you get to a point where you ask yourself, you know, why the, why the Jewish world doesn't come from Noah? And I think it becomes self-explanatory when you actually look at the character. Uh, if anyone is a psychologist in the room, Noah is a great case to study. What a case to study. Because he's on, he's off, he's in, he's out, he's, you know, he's all over the place. Avraham Avinu, no. Avraham Avinu is a different, a different kettle of fish. Um, put that to one side. I, 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 I'm going to pass these around, again, with a little bit of trepidation, because it's... Uh, I, I hope I'm not going to change your lives too much. There we go. Let's just send those around. Um, this is part two. Obviously, I don't want to uh, get fixated on, on the uh, Parsha uh, Noah or on Parsha Lech Lecha. Question, question, question. Sure. If, if there's such spiritual air in the world, then what happens with the Tower of Babel? Yeah, and the Tower of Babel is a very, very serious question of. It happened a few hundred years later. Yeah, yeah. The answer is that, of course, that was Noah's commitment, but what was going on around the world was not quite the same. And we know that. Right? We spoke about Tower of Babel last week. It was all to do. The focus I, I put on it last week from the Hamalevis was it was a focus on technical supremacy. The world was becoming very full of its own achievement. Nothing's really changed in about 5,000 years, right? Call it Tarabovo, today we call it internet and who knows what. It's scary, right? But that's, that's, that was last week's Parsha, but uh, it's, it's a good question. I, I, I want to, again, uh, somebody said, to, I don't remember who said this, that, you know, we grow up with what, is, what, what they call Girsa de Ankusa, I like that expression, the, what we learn as a child. Right, Hebrew school or wherever we went, um, we've heard these speeches over the years from, from our rabbis and from our teachers, and there are certain sort of uh, fundamentals that we just don't challenge. And very often when we do challenge them, or we do try and understand them, we come out with a different interpretation. And one of the things that I want to just share with you, which I, I think is truly remarkable, but you've got to sit down and do the math, or as the English would say, the maths. Excuse me, I'm going to put an S on the end there. Um, you look at this uh, beginning of Parshat Lech Lecha. And we know now, we'll leave Nach behind, we're going to get to Avram Avinu. Um, a whole discussion about Avram next week, I'm going to talk about the Akedah, and uh, that is a very challenging concept. Really, what is Avram all about? Because I've got sort of maybe a bit of a controversial view on that, but we'll see next week, Mr. Hashem. I want to talk about Avram coming to Eretz Israel. So again, if we take a straw poll of the room and we put it, I'll put it in your hands, when did Avram make Aliyah? Everybody will say, more or less, he was 75 and he took his family and we all know the story, right? Look at the Pesukim, it's in front of you on the page. God said to Avram, don't know why there's a rash there, I don't know. Lech lecha me'artzcha, meladcha, beit avicha, leave your land, your, your, where you grew up, right? Your father's house. Ela aretz asheareka, to the land where I will show you. We all know the story. God promises him to be a great nation. You'll be a blessing. Avram Avinu to this very day. Those who bless you will be blessed, curse you will be cursed. You'll be a source of bracha to the whole world. Now, verse number four. Avram went, as God had said. And he says, Lot went with him. I underlined it. Right? And there's kind of a gap there. I'll tell you what the gap is in a minute. And then it says, Avram was 75 when he left Haran. And then the next verse, Avram took 
seemingly going over the same information, but not quite. Sarai Ishto, it goes to the whole list. Sarah, Lod ben Achiv, and Lod ben Korachusham, Asherachosh, and all of the possession, and Nefesh Asasabacharim. We know that he was evangelizing, if that's the word to use, made, made converts to monotheism, right? They went to the land of Canaan. So in verse 4, when it says he went, it says, who went with him? Lot. In verse 5, when it says he took his family, it says Sarai, and it says Lot, and it says the, the uh, you know, lock, stock and barrel, as we would say, right? The gunser, uh, everything, everything in the house. So in verse 4, the question I think is a valid question, why does it cut the description short? Or more to the point, combine verse 4 and verse 5, and say, when Avram went, it says, And not only did he take Lod, but he took Sarai, and he took the Rechush. It's as almost as if these are two separate, let's use an English word if it exists, goings. Two separate journeys. There's journey in verse 4, when he goes with Lot, and he doesn't seem to take anybody else. It's almost as if they are going on their own, some sort of, you know, sort of uh, a trip. And then it gives us the age of Avram. And then in verse 5, it repeats where he goes with Sarai, with Loth, with the money, with the, the, with the people, everything. So what is going on here? Is there, in fact, one trip to Eretz Israel, Or is there, in fact, two trips to Eretz Israel? And this may come as a bit of a shock. When we came in Aliyah in 79, we lived here in the 80s, uh, it was a big deal that you did what they called a pilot trip, right? We actually came in February, and the weather was like this. It was a Machai leaving London, where it was freezing, and we came here. Um, and the pilot trip was for two weeks. And we did a very serious uh, uh, evaluation of where we wanted to live and where we were going to be. It was very, very helpful. And I would argue that it's not stump. It's not that you just come and do a pilot trip to move to Israel because... It's a nice thing to do, it's a good thing to do. I would argue Avram Avinu taught us how to do this. Coming to Eretz Israel, and I have to say this because we've all done it in the room. We've come to Eretz Israel, it's a challenge. It's not easy. The language is challenging, the mentality, right? As some people uh, uh, said to me, you know, be careful because this is not America on sea, or it's not Golders Green on sea, or wherever. Or Netanyahu used to be called Edgeware on Sea. That was a place where a lot of people from my neighborhood used to go and live. It's the Middle East. It's a different country. It's a different mentality. It's a different world. It's a different everything here. And coming here needs, no question about it, a bit, not a bit, a lot of preparation. If one can prepare in terms of the language, in terms of the what you're going to need, the, the bureaucracy, which we all like to complain about, and it's a, it can be very, very frustrating, a very ch- lot better than it used to be, I have to say, but the reality of it is, all of this is very challenging. And I'm going to prove to you, and show you, Avram Avinu came to Eretz Yisrael at least twice. And it's a bit of a surprise. We always thought, 75 years old, you know, he puts on his, he gets his walking stick or whatever it is, and he puts on his jacket and he goes and he's gung-ho, I'm going to Eretz Israel, I'm making Aliyah. And that's beautiful. But the reality of it is, as I showed you from the Psukim, they could very well have been that he made Aliyah twice. Or let's say he went twice. First time to check it out. Now I'm going to prove it to you and I'm going to show you something which is truly remarkable. 
Look at the questions that I have on the page, just under the Hebrew text. Why tell us in verse 4 that Lot went with him, when it's repeated again in verse 5? You know, we know that Lot is with him. Why tell us again? And, what is, and why is it repeated in verse 5? Why does it say in verse 4, only Lot? And in verse 5 it says Sarai and Lot and the, the guns of Mishpoch and everybody else. How old was Avram at the Brit Bain of Atarim? This week's parsha. It's chapter 15. So it's way after the beginning of the parsha. The parsha begins in chapter 12 of Breshit. Parsha of uh, Brit Bain of Atarim, again, covenant. This covenant between Avram Avinu and God is significant. And the question is, how old was Avram at that covenant? You would say to me, well, look, if the beginning of the, of the parsha is 75, then he must have been at least... A bit older than that, say 76, 77, you know, it could, must have been. Not true. You'll see what's going on here in a minute. And as, as you'll see, it's quite shocking. Um, a realization that maybe there's something different from what I was taught many years ago. Have a look at this. The Brit Benimitarim, the second pe- section in Hebrew. Just run through this very quickly. So Avram said, Oh Lord, how do I know I will inherit the land? So Hashem says to him, We know the strange event. He took this animal and he um, shechted it and then cut it down the middle. The because all these different animals. took them. He, he split them down the middle. Obviously, after they're dead. and each person took a piece. He sort of made like a path in the middle. but not the birds. And there's a whole discussion why not for now. Even they got the pieces got moved around and they were put back together. There's a whole description over here which itself demands explanation, which I, I can't go into now, but it's something to look at, leave you with a bit of homework. But listen to this. He, he had some sort of dream. He fell, he fell into a deep sleep. He became very afraid. And he said to Abram, God said to him, I'm telling you, your descendants will be sojourners in a land which is not theirs. They will be slaves for 400 years. We know the end will come out with wealth. We have a number over here, 400 years. Now again, go back to Hebrew school. What did they tell me in Hebrew school? How long were the Jews in Egypt? 200 and 10 years. So, immediately, if this is referring to the, um, uh, the, the, the exile to Egypt, the number is wrong. Because it says here 400 years. So, one very mathematically minded rabbi says, well, 210 only refers to the daytime. If you then include the nighttime, you, and you knock off a little bit for, for a break, because you've got to have a cup of tea sometime, so it counts out 400. I mean, with all due respect, you know, Fine. As, as somebody once said to me, leave the Hasidim to their delights and leave it at that. But whatever it is, fine. Perseida. But it doesn't work. And in fact, when we look in the Bible further on in the book of Shemot, we actually have another number. 430 years. So make, you know, like they say in good TV shows, make up your mind. Is it 400? Is it 430? Or is it actually only 210? So have a look at the next page, the, the what we call the flip side. On the other side. This is from Shmot, chapter 12. 
מושב בני ישראל אשר ישרו במצרים שלושים שנה וארבע מאות שנה, 
wait a minute, but that means Avram Avinu must have been in Eretz Yisrael at the age of 70. I'll blow your minds. There is a Midrash which said that he even came to Eretz Yisrael at the age of 55. He was there checking it out for a very long period of time. It's a shock. Because we all think, you know, the glorious moment of Aliyah, like, you know, Nefesh Benefesh, you get on the plane and you come off with the, with the pictures and the, the, the photo shoot and everything else. No, with Avram Avinu, he was already in Eretz Israel, not necessarily living in Israel permanently at that point, but he'd already been to Eretz Israel prior to the beginning of this week's parasha. And I think this is worth knowing. It's worth knowing. I'll tell you why in a second, but have a look at this comment here. Sefer Hayashar. It's a very old Midrashic text. Let me show you that I'm not making this up. Because this is what the Sefer Yashar says. And if you're with me on this, whether the mass works for you or doesn't, I hope that this, this, this resonates a little bit. Listen to this. It's the Hebrew paragraph to, uh, halfway down on the page. Avraham was already 15 years in Israel, according to the Midrash, before the Brits, which was at the age of 70. So according to this Midrash, he'd already stepped foot in Eretz Canaan when he was 55 years old. Who knew? Till I read this, I never knew this. So it says, what was the, set, what was the 15 years? He shnat shivim shana Avram when he turned 70. Then, vayera Hashem l'Avram, God appeared to him. Vashana hi vayomelam, God said to him, ani Hashem. I took you out from or the Chaldees, to give you the land. Start walking around, creating a presence in Eretz Israel. You will get this land for you and for your generation. From, from Egypt to the Euphrates. Now, Fourth line, you will live a good long life. And the fourth generation will come back. This is beginning of the Brit Benavitarim. Calls Abraham built an altar to say thank you to Hashem. At 70, he went back. He went out of Israel back to Haran, and it took him five years to get ready. Now you think about it, today we can, get, we can make Aliyah, we weren't thinking about Aliyah a year ago, but about nine months ago it started percolating again in our mind. It can do it within nine months to a year, but you know, there's a lot to do. In those days, I can imagine five years is probably realistic in terms of what you've got to do Maybe you'll argue it's simpler because you haven't got that much to worry about. But Avraham Avinu was a wealthy man and we know that he had uh, certain wealth or whatever. He knew he had, he had uh, needed time to prepare. I'll go, through, I'll go through the timeline again in a minute. So look at the underlining. So according to the Midrash, he spent five years back in Haran from the age of 70 to the age of 75. And he had 72 students with him, right? And where they get the number from, I don't know. And he started teaching them about God. 
monotheism, etc., drachav, bilamedotam ladat at Hashem to know God, biyamim ahem, nerashem avram, bacharan, then God came to him in Haran, I told you already for the last 20 years because now Avram is 75. He was first in Eretz Yisrael when he was 55. So God came to him and said, I've already been telling you for 20 years, time to go permanently. You went. You were there. You checked out whatever, even if there was good falafel. Who knows what he checked out? The reality of it is that he was there, but not on a permanent basis. But what a shock. What, a, what maybe not a shock, but certainly a surprise, that he made Aliyah at least two journeys to Israel. One, when he was 55, he came back again when, after 70, when he had the covenant, the Brit Bain of Atarim. I know it's out of order in the Parsha, but Eim Mukta Muchaba Torah, there's a very strong school of thought that the Torah is not in chronological order, so that question can, can be dealt with. But the reality of it is, we're coming to an amazing realization. Look at the second timeline. 55 years old when he came to Eretz Yisrael. He makes his first trip to Israel. 70, the Brit Bain of Atarim, when he was 70. And then 75, his final Aliyah. Wow. Look at this. And this is, this is the kicker. And I, I add this only as a little bit of a, a, a kind of extra remez. I, I like remazim. Right? Even though this may not be shut, maybe so remote. We know the Pasha is called Lech Lecha. The word Lamad Chaf is written twice. Think about it. How could you read it if there's no vowels? Lech Lech. Go twice. Interesting, right? Lech Lech. That's a vault for the Shabbos table, by the way. It's a good one. Lech Lech. He could have, according to this, no, he could have, he did. He went twice. Wow. So interesting, so fascinating. And this is, again, a very significant uh, understanding, a very significant realization on the process of Amavram Avinu coming to Eretz Israel. A couple of questions that I'm going to leave you with, right, which uh, we may get to, we may sort of talk about in the discussion next week. But, of course, the, media, the moment he gets there, he leaves, right, which is very, very challenging. He goes down to Egypt. And again, I, I read this morning, and I'm, I, I'm sorry I couldn't bring this because it was just a lot. I thought this was going to be more than enough <coughs> for, for a takeaway. Um, takeaway more than this, I think, is a little bit heavy. But there is a serious question. Why then did he leave immediately to go to Egypt? A lot of discussion about that. Uh, Rav Gorham has got, again, his very, very unique approach. And again, Mitzvah, maybe next week I'll just bring that in as a kind of uh, extra reference. But what do we see from here? We see that the going to Eretz Israel is not so pashut. Nothing is straightforward. We know making Aliyah is not straightforward. But the reality of it is that Avram Avinu set a precedent. There's a wonderful rule. We all know it. Masay Avot Siman Lebanim. What happens to the Avot is happening, will happen to the children, to the next generations and beyond. Going twice to Israel, maybe checking it out, going for a pilot trip, maybe that's what was going on over here. Avram Avinu said to us, Eretz Yisrael is not something you just fall into. Eretz Yisrael is not something you just arrive and say, Hi guys, I'm here. Right? And everything is fine. Eretz Yisrael needs preparation. It's a mitzvah. Yishuv Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah which needs a lot of preparation. And it needs a lot of mental preparation, mindset. Everything about it. I don't have to preach that because I think we all know it. The reality of it is that with Avraham Avinu, when you work out the dates... Again, we've got the 400, 430 
which we understand is different dates, one according to the birth of Yitzchak, and 4.30 goes back to the Britbane of Atarim, wherever those dates, and the 210 is the actual years of slavery, but more than that, those dates give us a framework of the life of Avram, proving, and certainly the Midrash backs this up, proving that Avram Avinu was in Eretz Yisrael, ready from the age of, the Midrash claims, from the age of 55. Incredible. He seems to have had that inspiration to go on his own. Now, you'll ask me where did all that inspiration come from? I can't answer that question. Avram Avinu is... I mean, I know Noach was a question mark and a problem, but Avram Avinu is a mystery for different reasons. Because he seems to be so focused. Where does this all come from? So again, you know, it, it's, for another, it's for another time, another discussion, but it's fascinating. Uh, I'll leave you with those thoughts because uh, it's so challenging and of course next week we'll we'll talk hopefully we'll get a little bit about the Akeda as well because my question then will be and I I hesitate to say this but Avramovina does not become the eventual leader of the Jewish people right, he becomes a, a paradigm but the question is why is he not the ultimate, he's seen particularly his student, we read about the Geirim which he made they disappeared. We don't know what happened to them. So what does that suggest, maybe, about Avramovinu? Something that we need to understand. We need to understand the greatness, but we also need to understand the challenges. And that I'm going to leave you to think about, Mitzvah next week. I hope, in the meantime, I hope uh, everyone has a great Shabbat. And uh, let's, let's hope today is going to be a good day. Let's hope. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.